My rate goes to 11. Just saying. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Curtis. And we need to steal your yeah. raid. <laughs> yeah. You could Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my disgruntled customer specialist, Persona Maliandi, Council for Persona. I'm good. So wait, what happened? Why am I a disgruntled customer service representative? Well, you, you've been advising me of these disgruntled people that I've been interfacing oh. with, not not with my day job, but with my my side hustle. And, uh, you know, you, you, you help me talk, talk me down from a ledge from these, these people that they drive me crazy. Well, I'm glad I could help. It would be bad if you went crazy, Curtis, but I know over the weekend, I just want to talk, touch on this. You went and saw an interesting movie and I thought we could quickly chat about that. Absolutely. What's well, I saw an interesting movie and a not, not as interesting yeah. movie. Let, let's but talk yeah, about the interesting one. Yeah. I saw, I saw free guy. Uh, which which I thought was just a lot of fun. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. But it's it's a movie set in the gaming world. I'll just say that, right? And um, and it stars Ryan Reynolds and uh, some other people. And he's the he is the free guy, uh, the lead, you know, the titular character. And it was just it was just a lot of fun uh, with a really strong third act. I, a really funny third act right it, you know it's it, it is a comedy and then they just really uh they cranked it up to 11 uh in the third act and it was just a, a lot of fun you know two hours of diversion from all of the fun that's going on this movie was supposed to come out in the early days of covid but they delayed it mm. you know like everybody else they delayed the like everything else yeah. yeah yeah and um you know while while we still await tom Cruz's latest movie uh because they've pushed that out to the fall he still acts he's come on man it's 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 <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're waiting for um Top Gun 2 oh it was supposed okay. to be out last month and they pushed it to October to, they pushed it and then they pushed it again now the latest I heard is like October and November so uh, and I'm a big movie buff so you know you know I I, I definitely enjoyed watching that Okay, but uh, but we're gonna now we're gonna talk about things that that that, that vex me uh, on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, we we I, I I ran into a a blog post from someone who you know it, it really touched a button because it's something that we talk a lot about on this podcast, which is the idea of bit rot. And before we bring them on, I'll just put out our usual disclaimer: uh, Persona works for Zoom. And uh, I work for Druva. This is neither a Zoom nor a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are ours. Uh, be sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And also, if you are, if you find yourself interesting, you know, or interested in things about the kind of things that we talk about, about data protection, security, networking, you know, um, bit rot, <laughs> uh, any, anything that can risk data or, or help take that risk away uh, any of that stuff that that's the kind of stuff we like to talk about so just or if you have interesting me. stories or be, yeah we just like interesting stories uh, especially in the IT space so uh, just contacted me at uh, wcurtispreston at gmail or wcpreston on twitter so uh, yeah so our our guest here that I'm excited to bring him on he's been in the IT industry just a little over 20 years and uh, he he currently has uh, like myself he has both a, a a day job and a side hustle. His day job uh, is an IT manager at TriTech Computer Solutions, and his side job is a production manager at Gazing Cat Productions, which is a video production uh, house. Welcome to the podcast, Jody Bruchon. Hello, nice to see. Nice to be here. We are glad to have you. I, I, I you know, you, you threw out. Uh, it's funny. I don't. It, uh, the blog post really hit a nerve with me because I've never seen someone defend bit rot before <laughs> you know it was like and by defend bit rot defend the concept of bit rot that bit rot exists bit rot is something you need to worry about uh, or you need to protect against it's it's one of the many reasons that we back up 
and uh, not yeah. the only reason, but one of the many reasons. And you give me a little backstory on that blog post because it seemed like there's like two parts to the story. Like, is that is that right? There are two sections to it, mostly because part of it is. Uh, Basically talking about ZFS and uh, the people who think ZFS is the new computer Jesus. (laughs) And the other part is defending RAID 5. Basically, um, you could kind of classify the entire post as some old school guy arguing against the new school stuff in favor of the old school stuff, which, you know, there's enough gray in the beard to make people feel like that might be true. Right. But... You were you were defending RAID five like against ZFS or like what to some extent. Okay. Um, it originally started. It it helps to understand where it started, and yeah, you it you also need to understand anyone who reads it needs to understand that the words have been chosen very carefully. Most of the criticisms I've received stem from people not reading it carefully, mm. reading into it their own notions. Um, not paying careful attention to how it's written. Um, I, I didn't pick what I said just frivolously. And a lot of people interpret it as such. And there's no shortage of comments below the article, um, much more than the actual article itself. Of <laughs> are, people there, who, are there more words in the comments uh, than there are in the article? I can tell you if you have a second. Sure. There's a lot of scrolling involved in what you're asking me to do here. (laughs) That's Um, when you know you've been successful, when you get so many comments, mm. everyone's chiming in. Oh, yeah. Uh I am storage Satan over here. (laughs) A rough count is 12,971 words. In in, uh, in the comments, in comments in, including my own responses, right. and I did try to respond to everyone. And the article was how roughly how long? We're about to find out. Ignoring the headline, we've got four thousand six hundred seventy-three, <laughs> which which is inclusive of three separate updates. The last of which was at January twenty twenty. Yeah. So basically, you've got f- what? three times as many words in the comments as you have in the article itself. It sounds like so. <laughs> yeah, yes, pretty much more. So that would be more. That was the original question. Uh, yeah, was, was it more? I would say three times is more. Um, <laughs> more is an understatement. Were and you it, expecting that? No, no. Uh, people don't really pay that much attention to what I do. Um, but the thing is, I touched a nerve and let me, I want to explain from the beginning because the problem seems to be that people don't understand why I wrote what I wrote in the first place. I I frequent the Data Hoarder subreddit and other just general computer subreddits, um, and I search for general information all the time. And the problem that I started to see is that people would recommend ZFS, constantly recommend ZFS, just recommend ZFS. But just- what didn't come with that was an explanation of what you need to actually get all the benefits of it. For example... The big thing that people harped on with ZFS is that it, if you have bit rot, if, you're, if your data gets degraded on disk and you don't notice and your system doesn't notice, despite all of the mechanical, all of the hardware checks that are performed all the way from the platter of your hard drive back to your CPU, mm-hmm. if somehow it goes unnoticed, that ZFS will magically fix everything. <laughs> oh! that's not how it works that's just not how it works like okay it might detect the rot so how's that backup work you don't have a backup you don't oh oh okay so what are you going to do to restore that rotten data oh you're not that's a shame i think that's probably what curtis latched onto when he wrote when he read this is a 4600 word article telling people to back their stuff up let's (laughs) just be honest Um, i loved it which is why i loved it so (laughs) so let's let's back up uh let's back up even a little bit farther not everybody knows what bitrot is so let me just talk about that so and 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 i i think persona you could probably pull up uh the what podcast would be the best for them to listen to. But bit rot is, is uh, the, the official term would be magnetic degradation, right? That, that over time, uh, this is a absolute fact of life in all magnetic media, right? That would be disk drives. That would be tape drives. Um, and that over time, a bit, right? So a bit is 
a, a magnetic grain on the disc or the tape, a bit, which is currently stored as a one or a zero, can flip and be the other one. Whatever, you know, if it's a one, it turns into a zero and vice versa. And that, you know, causes corruption, essentially, on the very bottom of your storage and file system, sort of, you know, all of those layers. It's at the very bottom. And that is an absolute fact of life. And it is more of a fact of life in disk than it is in tape. It's much more um, in, in, in disk than tape. And it's a bigger fact of life today than ever before because the magnetic bits have gotten smaller and smaller and the disks have gotten hotter and hotter. And as you'll you'll see if you, if you listen to that other podcast, uh, Persona, did it go live yet? Um, yes, it actually did go live. It is episode 111, Tape Designer School's Mr. Backup on Tape with Joe Jernicki. Yeah, Joe, Joe Jernicki was, is a, you know, a genius at such things. And we talk about the, the guts in terms of how this happens, right? That, that, that basically, there's two elements. <clears throat> One is how big that magnetic um, grain is. And then the other is how warm the medium is on an average basis, right? Disc has really small bits or small grains and disc tends to run very hot. Tape tends to have very large grains by comparison and tape is generally stored in ambient temperature. And so tape, the the magnetic degradation, which still happens, happens less on tape and happens more on disc. And yes, there are many layers of protection above it Right, uh, things like CRC. Uh, shoot, what's the other? Uh, what's the ECC? Other yeah, ECC. Thank you, CRC, ECC, and yes, things built into ZFS, which can hopefully spot some of this corruption. It can tell you that something is corrupted. It may or may not be able to uh, fix it. Right, the, the, a true uncorrected bit error might not be able to be corrected by higher level things, but you might at least be able to be notified. But it, it's a fact of life. And I think, um, the, Jody, when, when, when you wrote it, I, I, what I got out of it was ZFS, while it is, you know, an amazing pile system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it's not magic any more than the cloud is magic, uh, that it's not going to solve all problems and therefore... It may or may not notice some degradation, and if it doesn't notice it, and and all of the other layers layers fail as well, you will have corrupted data, and you might not know, and you might even be backing up corrupted data for a while, right? Um, and so you you will need to use backup to restore that data. Is that is that a, another Absolutely. way to say what you said? Yeah, pretty much. Um, that. The problem that I saw with the way that ZFS was presented is as a magic bullet. <laughs> and <clears throat> the self-healing, which is the desirable property, this the whole error detection, that's that's great. But the self-healing, the it takes care of the problem for you. Well, that doesn't really work without something to self-heal from. And so typically with ZFS, you'll be pairing it with something like RAID Z, which is probably one of the easiest to figure out, at least. So if you put RAID Z and ZFS, put those two together, then you have some sort of redundancy to pull the good copy back out. Sorry, what's you know, RAID pull Z? That yeah, thanks. Jody, you yeah. want to define RAID Z? It's, it's basically RAID that's specific to ZFS. Um, it's, it's not like your traditional raid levels. There's nothing about ZFS that's really traditional. I mean, you know, it's, it's what I call a fancy file system, you know, like, like ButterFS on Linux, uh, or like APFS, I think is trying to be and not necessarily succeeding, but, um, ZFS and raid Z they're inseparable. You know, it works with ZFS to provide sort of like what raid does, but better to provide the features that ZFS needs to be able to give you things like that self-healing. So, so does, does that mean ZFS without RAID Z? So, so, so yeah. you, you can run ZFS without RAID Z. I'm just confirming, but. Oh, absolutely. You, okay. All day long. If you want all these features, then you're going to need to run it on RAID Z. You can run ZFS on a single disc, single 
just one file system on one flat disk. Mm -hmm. And you can get all that lovely bit rot detection, you know, all the advanced features. The problem is that without more redundancy than just the ZFS file system itself, there's no way to get your data back if you have a situation where there's bit rot and it gets picked up. With RAID Z, which is specifically built to work with ZFS, you can have it do that magic. It, it actually has the redundant copies. It knows all about the redundant copies. It put them there in the first place. And when it detects a problem, it can transparently correct that problem. You never notice anything went wrong, and that's it. And that's kind of the magic bullet, although there, it's amazing that these things actually work at all, hey. given how complicated computers hey. are. <laughs> It, it's not going to save you from in-memory corruption, for right. example. So, so just, even just as one example, yeah. So even with um, ZFS and RAID Z, though, this assumes that all the lower layers have failed in detecting bit rot. So I know in your well, article you talk about like hard disks have their own checks, right? And in memory, you have your yeah. own checks as well. And all those hardware level checks have all failed, and somehow this data has gone past all of those, and now it's being caught at this upper layer. Technically, um, technically, the hard drive itself is the only thing get, that can detect the rot. Um, as far as on a hardware level, um, because the thing is, what the hard drive, if the computer sends whatever, an ATA command over to the hard drive controller on the hard drive, the hard drive sends back the data or an error. That's basically yep. simplified explanation. If the hard drive sends back data, the computer trusts that data. What ZFS does that people like is it doesn't trust that data. It checks. Yep. It, it goes, I'm going to check just to make sure that what I got matches based on this other data that I store. Yep. So technically speaking, if the data itself or the uh, checksum CRC, they like to use yep. those interchangeably, even though they're not. Um, I always forget which one's technically correct, but I believe it's checksums. Yeah, it's checksums. But if either one gets mangled, then... It knows something's gone wrong. Yep. And right. that gets flagged yeah. as bad and, and that can be and, replaced. And let me just talk about that for a minute. How is it possible? I'm, I'm going to ask a question, then I'm going to answer it myself. How is it possible for a bit to have flipped, right? And then for the checksum to still not be changed? And the answer is... Uh, and we could have a whole other podcast about the concept of hash collisions. A CRC or, or a checksum is just a hash, and the hash is a very small hash. And therefore, um, it, it's going to work like 99.99999% of the time. But there is a possibility that a, a block of data has actually changed, at one, that one block in that block of data has changed. And that if you calculate a checksum on that block of data, that the hash uh, is still the same, right? That it it is mathematically very improbable, but it can happen, right? And that's why that's why you can still have bit rot and have it still be un, undetected even by CFS. That's and that's when you get like silent data corruptions, and right, you're basically yeah. screwed. Yeah, from a reader and, perspective. But what, well, I, what I saw with with Jody's blog post, uh, the comments, it, it was like it was like. Um, they were saying that basically, Jody, that you that you were talking about the boogeyman, that everybody talks about silent data corrosion and nobody's ever actually seen it. Um, does that sound familiar? Uh, I'm looking at them, but what I remember about most of the comments I received, uh -huh. um, it, it seemed to make they seemed to make assumptions about what I was saying. They read into it things I didn't actually say. They interpreted things creatively um I'm, I'm trying to fish through right and um, whatever it, it's not it's that you were so saying much. that zfs is bad right or that it's you know it's, it's garbage not, it's also not that i'm not denying that bit rot exists either a lot of people <laughs> hold the whole you're a bit rot denialist kind of thing <laughs> and uh that, that's not the case yeah, it's, I, I um, didn't get that at all i felt you were rare. you were you were basically saying bit rot is a thing and it's a thing that you need to accept and that it exists. There were some people that I felt in the comments that were that definitely are bit rot deniers that they're basically, that they said that you were just, you were just talking about the boogeyman. Like we, we talk a lot about uh insider um, 
uh, the what, what do you call it? The the the, insider the rogue attacks. admin, the insider yeah. attacks, and the rogue admin. And I I know somebody who who tells me that that never happens. And I'm like, well, except for the several times, even in my own personal career, and I'm just one person in IT where I've seen insider attacks happen, but sure. Um, but um, yeah, so you, you weren't, you weren't poo-pooing ZFS per se. You were just saying it doesn't necessarily solve this problem and you might still need backup. Well, what I saw was that ZFS was being recommended, but it wasn't being recommended along with what was needed to get what you expected. Oh, so, okay, so they were someone just says ZFS. use ZFS. Okay, if someone says use ZFS, ZFS is great. ZFS makes things you know it's easier to fix your data if there's in place damage to it. Blah blah blah. ZFS has all these great things. The problem was that that was being recommended and. You, if you recommend ZFS to someone, let's just be honest here, it's more complicated. It's a little bit less tested, at least in the open ZFS format for mm -hmm. Linux. Mm -hmm. It's not officially supported as widely. Um, so the problem with ZFS is that if you don't work with it correctly, if you don't put RAID Z with it, for example, to get that redundancy, if you just go, oh yeah, just use ZFS, you've made it harder for the person who may not know anything about administering it yet, who's a novice, you've now made it harder for them to administer their system because now they have to deal with the advanced feature set and the complexity. They get that added complexity, but the benefits are minimal because they don't know how to use it necessarily. More importantly, the CRC thing, the checksum thing, getting your data back when it rots away. If you don't have that RAID Z, which a lot of people recommend ZFS and never tell you to get RAID Z yeah. <laughs> or use virtual devices or any redundancy at all. It's like, oh, just ZFS, magic bullet. So, yeah. These people are walking right into a pit yeah. because so, they're going to think it's a magic bullet and it's not. Yeah, so it's basically for the novices who've never deployed this, there's no best practice, if you will, or clear steps on, hey, if you are going to use ZFS, use RAID Z. And here are the best steps in terms of how to configure, because I'm sure even RAID Z, there are probably multiple options in how you can configure that and also ZFS. And so it's what is the best way? And I think that kind of happens typically sometimes for open source, where it's like, hey, here are all these options, go at it. And it's hard to figure out what is the best thing that I should be deploying it as in order to get the most benefit. The thing that bothers me is um, I've spent a lot of time in my life reading information put out by others that led me down a wrong path when I didn't know as much, be it in filmmaking, don't get me started, um, <laughs> But even just in computer stuff, in Linux in general, you can get information that's incomplete or bad. And if you're an advanced user, like if I have a problem with Linux, for example, if there's some weird kernel problem, I've submitted a couple of bug fixes to the kernel before. The vast majority of people out there are not on that level with that thing. And even if they are, they may not be on that level with ZFS or the environment surrounding it. So... I've been led astray by things before, and the problem that I see is that when people who don't know as much are then faced with this new stuff, if they get led down a direction and don't get all the information that they need, like, here, I'll give you a good example. Um, PHP, how do you authenticate a password when you're programming a website in PHP? Well, you'll find no shortage of articles that are very old, but still exist, that tell you to use the MD5 function <laughs> to compute a password hash and store that directly in your database. And that, I don't even want to go into why that's bad. You can read <laughs> up all about it if you want to. But the point is we're talking about information that's 15 years out of date. And it's a great way to end up dumping all your passwords. Once you're hacked into someone throws a rainbow table at it and you're done. Everybody's passwords out there. So bad practice. Now it was what they did, but you're led astray. You don't know any better. And that's how you end up in trouble. So I don't want new people who are introduced to a new technology to have incomplete or in incorrect information and then find themselves in a situation where the data is there and they can't get to it because they screwed something up or they just don't know what they're doing and they've made it, dumped their stuff to it. And, oh, well, there's something going wrong. How do I mount this? 
well, it's OpenZFS on Linux, but that's not part of the kernel. So I upgraded <laughs> the kernel, but no, oh God, oh God. So that's the situation I'm trying to prevent. It's not for the really smart people who already know everything. It's for the people who don't, because those are the ones who ask, what should I use? Use ZFS. They don't know. That's why they're asking. I you, want the right information to come with that recommendation. And you, I see way too much of it just going, oh, use ZFS. Everything will be okay. Do you see anyone recommending or suggesting or whatever the right word would be that if you use ZFS, you don't need backup? Not generally, um, but the problem is you, not... You think that people not, might infer that? People don't usually say, use ZFS, but back up your data. They just say, use ZFS. It's more the omission of the information. That's my problem, is the incomplete or inaccurate, outdated, whatever, mm -hmm. information. That's what I have a problem with. They will say use ZFS. They won't say don't use backups, but because they'll be like, oh, it's got you know self-healing, it detects bit rot, keeps your data integrity, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like it just takes care of all your problems for you. It's not a backup, but if you're a novice, you may not know that. You don't oh. have that <laughs> implicit little voice in your head saying, you better copy this somewhere else yeah. and you're going to lose it all. <laughs> mm, when your mm. server catches on fire yeah. or ZFS hiccups and erases everything, whatever. So it's incomplete information that I'm trying to fight. I'm not trying to say don't use ZFS. I'm trying to say don't use ZFS blindly. Mm. Be informed before you jump into a technology you don't understand. And that way you can keep your data safe because I think data integrity is the most important thing in the world because that data is the whole point. Yeah. of you using that tool that is your computer. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard someone say. I think Curtis is about to cry. Data, data um. integrity <laughs> is the most important thing. I love that. <laughs> um, so so, so there, are, there are features. So let's talk about, uh, and, and by the way, I, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a ZFS like aficionado, but um, I was unaware that ZFS is, um, bit rot repair or self-healing features required RAID Z, it, it, could they also work with anything else or, or literally you have to have ZFS on top of RAID Z for that stuff to work? There was actually a comment left on it about a month ago where someone said you don't strictly have to have RAID Z. You can use virtual devices that contain redundant mirrors of the same thing. Because that's the thing, ZFS is a little more complicated. So one way to do it is using the RAID Z setup. The other way to use it is virtual devices that are basically set up as mirrors, which, boy, that sounds a lot like RAID 1, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. So <laughs> as long as you have a copy somewhere that ZFS is aware of in the ZFS way, okay. then so the theory is ZFS that will with, pick it up. Um, um, could have it, sorry, um, could it, also work with a storage array that has built-in RAID and snapshots and things like that. Could you integrate ZFS's self-repair stuff with something like that? Well, ZFS is an advanced file system, but it's still just a file system. There's no reason you couldn't put ZFS on top of a RAID device no, or a set could. of RAID devices. My question is, could you get those self-healing features by putting it on a a storage array that has those features. That's would, you need well, problem, would you need it? Would you need it though? Wouldn't be aware. ZFS that? wouldn't be aware of yeah. the underlying device. Mm. Yeah. And then would it even so be like, needed? So like if it was say on a RAID Oh, 5. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you if the, the only the only thing that RAID gives you, I mean RAID one and up give you redundancy against at least a single disk failure. Um, some give you redundancy against multiple disk failure, but they don't do anything to actually protect data. Right. Although, arguably, uh, if you do a scrub of a RAID array with parity, like RAID 5, 6, etc., if, if you do a scrub of the array and there's a parity information, the whole point of a scrub is to read the array from beginning to end, check the parity data to see that it matches the other data. In theory it can at least detect the corruption. The problem with RAID and parity, as opposed to like a ZFS checksum, is that the way that the parity set up is it's a very simple, like in the case of RAID 5, you know, my favorite RAID, the one that everyone hates now. Um, 
it, it's an extremely simple exclusive or operation. Yep. You take the data, you take the other data, you exclusive or it together and the resulting bits are it. But all it tells you is when you get done XORing all these stripes together, this is the number you should come up with. And mm -hmm. if you come up with something different, something, big air quotes on the screen here, something <laughs> is wrong. Yeah. It can't tell you which stripe is wrong. It can just tell you something here is wrong. We don't know which. And you have the option to rewrite it to be correct. But if, if the damage is done to the parity, that's that'll just rewrite the parity if the parity's wrong. If the damage is done to the data, then the parity is actually correct and the data's been corrupted. But there is no way for RAID 5 to know that the data is what was damaged instead of the parity that goes with it. And that's where advanced file systems like ZFS and ButterFS that have checksums that are more advanced that can actually detect... Um, it's actually, it's not, it shouldn't be checksums. It should actually be error correcting codes. Like, uh, I don't remember what CFS uses, honestly. It's been a while since I've looked into all this stuff. Um, the article is from four years ago, but something like Hamming code, where there's redundant data stored to be Across able to detect anything. and, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Some kind of forward error correction. So, so, so let, let, let's, let's change the discussion just a bit. What is it that you like about RAID 5 versus something like RAID 6 or RAID double parity or et cetera? I don't have to pay for an extra disk. <laughs> okay. So you just yeah, it's also It's also simpler. Um, to give you an idea, the server that's uh, floating around behind me, mm -hmm. um, it, it currently has, uh, I believe, nine eight terabyte disks in it. And those eight terabyte disks are sitting on top of a Celeron something or another, J4005, with a big fat SATA card attached to it. So it's an embedded, cheap, low-cost motherboard. I don't have to buy an extra disk, um, so I can be a cheapskate. And, you know, at eight terabytes, you, even if you shuck a Western Digital Easy store, that's 160 extra dollars to get that extra, right. to throw that extra eight terabytes at parity. But also... Um, it doesn't really make the rebuild much faster to have a second parity, and the car and the calculation for the parity is a lot more complicated. So it's more CPU intensive because you can't do a simple exclusive or like in RAID five. Now you have two of them. Now you have to calculate it in such a way that if you drop a disk, that it can handle both parities at the same time. So it takes more computation to do that. And if you have a weaker embedded board like I do it's going to cause more CPU usage and possibly cap your maximum speed. I think so. also the other thing you mentioned, Jody, is right. it's not just that cost of one additional disk. It's the fact that you're paying for two additional disks because you probably have an off-site copy somewhere as well, right? Uh, I have a really fat hard drive down here somewhere. <laughs> but my strategy has been to populate the array with kind of middle-sized disks. I, I like to do the data hoarder thing and shuck Western Digital Easy stores all day long. <laughs> um, but I started shucking at 8 terabytes, and I figured that kind of caps the amount of time that it takes to, to go from end to end on one disk. So... I just keep adding eight terabytes, but for backups, I have much larger external disks. And what I do with my stuff is I partition the data into folders and certain folder sets go to certain disks so that, because you have, it's more of a function of usage. Yep. I have different types of data that serve different purposes. There's like one huge drive where all the really important stuff, like my most important video projects, for example, mm -hmm. my photographs, like of my family or whatever, that all goes to one drive. That drive stays with me. Yep. Then other drives, they don't matter as much because if I lose some of that stuff, I don't care. Yeah. So, but that's just personal. Yeah. Um, that may not work for everyone. And if you have the amount of data that I'm starting to accumulate, <laughs> the solution is actually to get a couple of 10 gigabit cards linked to storage servers together. And one of them is a big fat backup. Yeah. It's interesting. So Curtis, have you ever heard of the term shucking before? No, I was, yeah. I was <laughs> going to ask what shucking was. Do you want to explain? Uh, so I've read about this in the past years and years ago, but do you want to explain? Shucking is where you buy a drive meant to be used as an external drive, rip it apart, and steal the internal drive out of it for use as an internal drive. I've never heard of that term. Why would you do that? <laughs> well, because I'm cheap. And usually because it's cheaper to buy the 
That's so well, weird. I got why is that? I can get I can get an eight terabyte Western Digital Red for $169 by getting it on a deal of the day sale at Best Buy and then ripping it apart instead of getting it for what, $240? I haven't looked it up you actually. Get the same I don't buy it anymore. But for less money. Basically, yeah, they're white labels. It's a white label Western Digital Red. I don't know because I ripped apart an external enclosure. I just uh, be, that's just the way that they sell them. That market segmentation—it's so a short-circuiting market segmentation. Yeah. It's the same stupid thing that Canon does with their cameras, where they give you the exact same sensor setup and all that in the cheap Rebel line versus the mid-range line, and the difference is the feature switches that they turn on and off when you pay an extra six hundred dollars. Yeah. Yep. See, it's I've something never, new. Yeah, it's uh, because yeah, the problem is, the the problem is that like if you have like a Synology or another Nazare, right, and you want to populate drives, people would typically buy internal drives, and so they'll upcharge you for just a bare drive. Versus someone who's buying like an external drive, they're just going to plug it in and use it, and people aren't willing to pay that premium for their external hard drive. And so it's all just market demand. Well, external hard drives, normal human beings trademark. Uh, will buy an external hard drive to back their stuff up. You know, they don't know any different and they don't care. It's just like, you know, grandpa over here that's a that's got a DSLR and won't stop taking video of his grandkids with it, right? Or someone with an iPhone that somehow turned on the, you know, iPhone 12 with 4K, 10-bit, blah, blah, blah. They're recording massive, massive videos of the kids. And just the storage requirements start ballooning. They just go, I'll just buy one of these eight TBs to, to you know, hold in case I get more. That, that way I don't have to worry about it. And they don't really know any different. Normal person just sees the number and it's like, well, that's bigger than the number that I've got in the computer. That'll be fine. So you can sell to normal people, but they're not going to pay $300 for an eight terabyte hard drive. And or even necessarily yeah. too. And a manufacturer you know, isn't going to make a separate line just to satisfy that need for the external hard drive either. Yeah. I'm I, actually I, trying I, to I, pull I, up. I prices. understand everything that you're saying. I just didn't know this was a thing. I yeah. just, um, Let's see. That's crazy. Uh, if you buy an eight terabyte internal drive, it's uh, an eight, a Toshiba eight terabyte 7200 RPM SATA drive is $190 on sale right now at Newegg. A Western Digital Purple's 212 and a Seagate Barracuda's 170 on sale. Uh, but like I said, I got the 8 terabyte Western Digital Red drive. It's a white label. It doesn't have the Western Digital Red labeling, but it is a red drive um, for 169 So hmm. even if you compare it to the cheapest Seagate that they've got out there, I still save $10 just because I'm willing to take a pry tool and shove it in a piece of plastic. Yep. Oh yeah, and there are a couple of quirks. Sometimes mount screws may not be quite aligned. You may have to use a power splitter to get rid of the 3.3 volt line since that shuts the drives off. Go to the data hoarder subreddit and you'll see all kinds <laughs> of interesting information about all the fun quirks of shucking drives. It's it's pretty cool. What I've heard, I mean, what it, my understanding is that RAID 6, it's not as much about making the rebuild time faster. It's about removing the risk of what would happen if you had a double RAID failure. Yeah, that's basically the only purpose <clears throat> of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that if you've got the kind of cash to start throwing RAID 6 at it, you might want to start thinking about throwing RAID 10 at it. Because even though you're talking about buying more drives, if you're going to scale up, you might as well go ahead and scale all the way up to 10. Yeah. You know, that way you have even more redundancy there to pull from. Because since RAID 10 is technically, um, depending on how you do it, you know, a mirror a mirror of a set of striped arrays, and that gives you your redundancy right there. And performance. Across a bunch of disks, a whole lot more bandwidth. Yeah. I've, I've done RAID 10 before. The problem was that if you have four drives, you lose half your capacity. Yeah. Uh, well, you lose half of it anyway. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't deliver on the speed promises, depending on the workload. You actually have to be a lot more careful when you make a RAID 10. Um, you have to test a lot. Yeah. And RAID 5 just works. And Curtis, I would say, going back to your RAID 6 question, protecting from double disk failures, not so much rebuild times. Having worked in storage vendors in the past, I've seen numerous cases where during a rebuild, because of the additional load you're putting on 
the discs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sometimes you can end up with another failure, right? Which ends up taking down your array. So you're saying it is it is because it it's, it's not a it's not a boogeyman. Is what you're saying? The risks are more than zero. Probably the best way to explain all of them. my raid goes to eleven. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, Curtis. We need to steal your raid. (laughs) Yeah. And especially the problem with during disk rebuilds, and it also goes back to how you've constructed your raid array. I've seen a lot of people who end up having the same disk types that they use for their entire array within a certain manufacturing batch. And then, boom, when disk fails, usually uh, there are more than one failure. As well, I know Backblaze does a really good job publishing their reliability ratings for different disks, right? But sometimes there are manufacturing defects, and the solution to that is the same as the solution to the bit rot problem. Back your stuff up, back up, (laughs) get that stuff absolutely, and then of course do that via the three two one rule, so that you've got a couple of copies and one of them is off site. One thing that I did want to say that's kind of unrelated is that I actually favor Blu-ray discs, despite the fact that it's considered a dying medium. Uh-huh. I've gotten in arguments about Blu-rays as a backup. Over um, Blu-ray over what? Uh, usually over tape. Okay. Because yeah. the pro- here's the thing. If you have a Blu-ray disc, it's really easy to get your hands on a Blu-ray drive. If you have a tape, not only do you need to find the tape drive that can read it, you need the hardware to hook it up and you need the expertise to use it. Anybody can find a BDR reader somewhere and plug it into a computer's USB port and throw the disc in and read it. So if, if I was to keel over today, anybody could go get an envelope of cold storage BDRs, throw it into a BDR drive and read it, and that'd be the end of it. But if I had a big fat stack of tapes, it'd be like, oh God, we got to find a nerd. Got to find a nerd. What are we going to do? What are these things? These eight tracks? Yeah, no, we don't need these gonna have to track. say I disagree with you there, Jody. But ah, I mean, that's I, all right. I, I can't disagree with what you're saying, but I disagree that that Blu-ray. It's not that it's a dying medium; it's that it's a crappy medium from a long-term storage perspective, right? It, it's I just, haven't seen any evidence of that. It's just, it's just, it was never designed to do that, right? Like not <laughs> yeah. consumer grade. It, it just, it's, it, it will physically fall apart. But I think though, Curtis, I think it depends what segment of the market you're talking about, right? If I'm a normal consumer. Well, for enterprise, it's silly. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I was an enterprise, I'd probably agree with you, Curtis, that tape probably definitely makes sense. But if I wasn't an enterprise with dedicated IT staff and equipment and all the rest, and if I'm going mainly all cloud or digital, right, I don't really have my own data centers, that sort of thing, right? Maybe there is other medium. Maybe it's not Blu-ray, right? Maybe it is I write to S3, right? And there are different costs associated with that. But yeah, well, yeah, I'm not I'm not pushing tape. I'm just saying, yeah, I don't think Blu-ray is a solution, <laughs> but I, I think it's somewhere mm-hmm. between. So if it depends, you know, I'm going to put three segments of the market, right? On one end, we've got like the enterprise world. On the other end, we've got Steve and his laptop, right? And in the middle, we've got Jody. Jody's got some brains and he knows what he's doing and he can sort of do what he wants for his stuff. But Steve, Steve doesn't need to be doing any of this. Steve needs. Steve needs a service that will just do all of this because it doesn't matter what device Steve uses, he's going to screw it up. The, the reason I mentioned the Blu-ray thing at all mm-hmm. is at least with the Blu-ray disc, the the people, like say I died and I had all these family photos no one could get to on this complicated server, encryption, whatever, right? But I've got backups for them on Blu-ray and I keel over, so that's the only medium that they can access. If they find those discs, they stand a good chance of being able to get all those pictures that I left behind. If I leave behind tapes, eh, not so much. If I leave behind a backup, encrypted backup especially, not necessarily. But the Blu-ray disc, it it has its place in that even though it may not last 100 years, it might last 5 or 10 years, and Grandma in the future might actually be able to plug a thingy into their computer and read them and get all those family photos back when I'm long gone. Do you think that's going to be the case, though, that Blu-ray drives will be around in, say, five, ten years? 
Well, I mean, they'll they'll be available, um, but it's getting saying, to the point. The device will still work or whatever. And you'll, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like just um, like nobody's writing CDs now, but you can still get a CD writer or a CD reader, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, well, people actually are actually somebody's paying me to um, to convert some VHSs to DVDs right now. DVD, mm. not CD. So, That's what I was saying. CD, right? Or yeah. Blu-ray? Yeah. yeah. The whole point is that I've been using Blu-rays for a while because they have a very high capacity and they're very very cheap. The price of hard drives, external hard drives, like we were talking about, shucking has long since, it has definitely surpassed Blu-ray, especially if you get it on a good sale. The problem with hard drives is that like when you burn to the Blu-ray disc and you stick it in an envelope and you just shove it on a shelf in a decently temperature controlled room, that Blu-ray should be fine. Hard drives can just stop working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. Don't ask how I know that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I lost an MP3 collection and I'll just leave it at that. But um, that now that the problem isn't when hard drives work. It's when they just decide that, oh, well, my spindle doesn't feel like turning anymore. I'm old and dead. Have right. fun with me. So if I leave a bunch of Blu-rays behind on a shelf somewhere... There's, there's a pretty good chance that within a reasonable amount of time of my expiration that someone will be able to get that data back and I won't have to worry about the problems that come with magnetic storage media, you know, because for all the resilience that they have when they're sitting on a shelf, you know, we're talking about bit rot and all that stuff. It's not as big of a problem if you've burned a die versus you've got these magnetic grains that are sitting right beside all these other little magnetic mm-hmm. grains that want to dance with them. So... That's just the trade-off that I've looked at, and I get in arguments about it, and I, I'd say at this point I just do it for the sake of arguing with people <laughs> to challenge their assumptions because I think that's healthy. But, uh, yeah, I have I have my reasons, and they're not for everyone. Yeah, I don't think Joe Smith should be uh, putting a LTO tape drive in his house, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll – I'll take my, think it was I'll lettuce, take my tomato, LTO onion. tape drive over your Blu-ray drive any – day but and you should but absolutely yeah. and but, uh, i'll take an eight terabyte external over a tape drive any day oh because that way? is not sequential in what way is that better <laughs> because it's talk, not sequential. you just talked about all the stuff that disk drives fail yeah right so how is that but, better but in it, any way than a tape drive? well for for me and me alone a magnetic drive is not sequential like a tape so if I have a magnetic backup, everything is addressable with roughly the same performance penalty, whereas on a tape, everything's sequential and you have to wait for it to seek to things. But it'll be there. This is about backup. This is not about replacing in one way. Random access disk is better than tape, but in every other way, disk is yeah, but an individual disk. I'm talking about an individual wow. disk is possibly think, the worst backup medium on the planet. I think it depends on your application. It, no. Everybody's different. <laughs> Everybody does different things. <laughs> oh, Curtis, be nice. Well, the application is backup. The application uh, is backup. Okay. Let me let me share let me share a sentence with you that I love to throw at people on the internet when I'm getting mm-hmm. in these ridiculous discussions. Uh-huh. After a while, when it's clear no minds will be changed, I like to say, "It's okay. Believe what you want to believe. I can't make you not be wrong." <laughs> All right, and with that, and will, at that point, I, it's just, yeah, I get it, I get it. You know, all right, and with that, I will, I will, I will, we will agree to disagree and go our separate ways and absolutely not hate each other. And uh, I and I, I will not thank you. I will thank you to uh, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, <laughs> and uh, thanks, Persona, for joining in as well as usual. Well, it was it was exciting. Thanks, Jody, for coming on and talking about CFS and BitRot. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. All right. And uh, thanks to the listeners again, because we'd be nothing without you. And remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had chance to fix it instead it's all jacked up see how i'll write on facebook about you don't underestimate the things that i will do there was a file but i deleted it too bad your backup system isn't worth the space emails from you remind
once it'll be completely done. Maybe